Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray and uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's trust God to speak to us this morning. This is a significant year, uh, 2015. You know, the Bible says, let us work while it is day. And what that means is that the years are not going to go on forever. The years will come to an end. And uh, this is not a time to scratch our head thinking, oh, what shall I do anything that for God this year? It says, let us work while it is day because the night is coming. And the night is referenced to return of Jesus Christ when the end of days has come. And uh, whatever has, has been done has been done. And whoever's made up their mind before has made up their mind. There's no time to make up our mind after Jesus has returned. There's no time to go to Bible college afterwards to get ourselves trained and equipped. Now is the time to go for it. And so let's just trust God to speak to us again this morning. I feel that uh, this year is significant. Uh, the people are like, you know, people all around us are going to hell. We need to reach out. And that's, that's our vision as a church, that we're here to reach people for God and to help them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And uh, so that's all part and parcel. That's why we run Bible college, to train and to equip people, to bring people into a better uh, intimate relationship with God and to be trained and equipped and prepared in order to fulfill their ministry because one day we will all stand before Jesus. And uh, we can't say we didn't have time. That's not going to wash with Jesus. <laughs> he made time. All right. So let's just somehow just trust God that, that as he leads and guides us, that there is just an opening of doors and there is arranging and a rearranging so we can do everything that God wants us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, one, this morning, once again, Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts before you. And God, we remind ourselves that we've been bought with a price, that we're no longer our own. That, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross to redeem our lives from destruction. That, Lord, we're now heaven-bound, but we thank you that you're speaking to us, that you're empowering us to reach other people so that they, too, can have their eternal destiny changed. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you, and we ask you to speak to us this morning. We determine right now to be teachable, to be not only hearers of the Word, but to be doers. And we thank you, Father, that even as the preaching of the Word takes place, that there's a transformation going on in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that our spirits are fed, our minds are being renewed. We thank you, Lord, that strongholds are challenged, uh, and diffused. We thank you, Lord God, that lies are confronted and overcome by the truth of your word. We pray, God, speak to us and give us revelation this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you haven't got an outline in your hand, just wave your hand about a little bit and the ushers are going to get you one. Keep your hand up. And uh, uh, for now, um, we've been speaking about uh, the will of God uh, for some weeks now. Um, begin, since the beginning of January, uh, I began to speak about the will of God. That's something that God's been stirring my heart about towards the last few months of last year in regards to being in the will of God this year. Uh, and we can't automatically assume that people are in the will of God. There's things that we have to do. Uh, God tries to maneuver us, but we've got to respond to God. There is safety in the will of God. There is provision in the will of God. All good things are in the will of God. Outside, things are difficult. Outside, where there's calamity and disaster uh, and problems and issues. But inside the will of God uh, is the good place. And so uh, we've said that in the beginning of the year, 
it's always a perfect time uh, to reassess our lives. And Peter made reference to that, that the beginning of the year, just want to set our sights and, uh, and determine what we're going to do this year. Uh, that we not allow ourselves to drift uh, or to float or somehow, but we're going to set our sights, we're going to serve Jesus. Uh, and we read here from Romans chapter 12, and this, if you like, has become the key scripture or one of them uh, for this series of messages. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, that acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So the Bible speaks there of the perfect will of God. And this series of messages is entitled, Living in the Perfect Will of God. Uh, Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. How do we find out the will of God? Well, we pray and ask God to reveal it to us. And when we study God's word, God op opens the eyes of our understanding. And, uh, and you know, th therefore, we mentioned earlier on, the Bible college is part of that journey. Uh, we had a man in Bible college last year and um, kind of wondered how it was going for him. And I said, after a couple of three months, I says, tell me, I says, how is Bible college working for you? Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, not necessarily rave on about how much he's enjoying it. He's enjoying it, but he's not showing it as much. So I thought I'll, I'll check. And uh, he says, look, he says, um, he says, the, the, uh, the, the module entitled recognizing the voice of God, he says, that was worth all the money. He says that I've paid. The rest is a bonus. And I thought, wow, how about that? Uh, one of the modules uh, that we have in Bible college in the first year at the front end is recognizing the voice of God. And he says, that's, that's like uh, the, all the money I pay for, that uh, module alone is worth it. The rest is all a bonus. And so it's like, uh, you know, knowing the will of God and hearing the voice of God um, is just just absolutely vital. And we said that God has a will and he, he communicates his will through his word. So it stands to reason if we hear a little bit of God's word, we understand a little bit of God's will. If we hear more of God's word, we understand more of God's will. Would that be a fair enough equation? Like I'm not a mathematician, but that makes sense to me. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, in Colossians 1.9, and I'm just recapping from where we've been. So for this reason, we also, from the day we heard it, uh, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you may be filled with the deep, uh, rather with the full, deep and clear knowledge of his will in all wisdom, in comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God and in understanding and discernment of spiritual things. Last week we spoke about the five purposes that God has for us. We said the will of God and the purpose of God is one and the same thing. We spoke about the five purposes. The first one is, is uh, worship. The second one is fellowship. The third one is discipleship. The fourth one is ministry. And the fifth one is mission. Um, and uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to jump online and to listen to the message because, uh, as I say, if we function on those five areas, we can confidently say that in a general sense, we're in the will of God. Um, and uh, so this morning, I want to begin by reading in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. 
Please notice it says has blessed us. Many people are trying to get blessed, but God says we're already blessed. All right? If we, if we are born again, we are already blessed. He says, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before him in, in love. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. According to the kind intention of his will. Do you know God's will for us is the plan of his kind intention towards us? Let me say that again. God's will for us is his plan of his kind intention towards us. God only has got kind intentions towards us. God is not fickle like sometimes people can be. And there are not two sides to God. There's only one side and he's only good. The Bible says that, uh, that in, in, in God there is no variableness or sh shadow of turning. It says every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And uh, so God is only good. Um, and uh, God never, everybody say never. God never has any bad intentions towards us. So when God tells us to do something, he doesn't try to maneuver us into a place so he can beat us up or do something against us. But God tries to maneuver us to do good to us. And God leads us to do good to us. All right? So we can always, and we should always, confidently embrace the plan of God for our lives. Because, or, or, or the will of God, I should say, because it is the plan of his kind intention towards us. When Pastor Vanessa and I went to Bible college some uh, 30 odd years ago, there's a college running in Wellington, and it just looked so complicated and so difficult, but we said we've got a desire to serve God. We've got a desire for the Word. We don't understand everything, but we're going to sign up. And as Vanessa said, we had three children already. Um, I was on a, not on a high income at all, uh, and we had a fourth one that came along, and we just said we're going to put our foot forward because we feel this is the will of God. In the natural, it looked near impossible. We said this is part of the will of God for us. And you heard the story before. We did our two years of Bible college. What we did not know, what we did not know was we were in the first year in what we call the charter class. We were in the second year, and then we came out. There's only two years we came out, and then we turned around. And suddenly we realized that behind us the show had shut down. It just wasn't there anymore. There wasn't enough uh, going on. There was some issues going on in leadership. And the pastor there had some kind of lost heart for this whole thing. And, but the thing was, we had prior to that talked about maybe going off overseas to go to a Bible college or going you know, somewhere else doing something. But no, God put it right at our doorstep. We could have totally missed God by trying to delay by one year. Said, oh, you know, it'll be easier next year. Let's do it next year. No, we, we knew we had to put our foot forward now. If we had only done one year, we would not have been equipped to do the ministry that God has called us to. And so sometimes people don't fully understand the will of God. And it's like, well, you know, there's always, there's always another week. You know, there's always another year. There's always, well, no, not in God. When God says now, then it's now. 
And people miss the will of God because somehow they delay and they fluff around. And because uh, nobody here, of course, we're not fluff around people. We're go for it people. All right. But some people do fluff around. Say fluff around. No more fluffing around. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so, so God's will is something to be pursued. Something to be captured. Something to be grasped and something to be embraced and make every effort to fit into it because it is in the will of God that things are good. It's outside of the will of God. Things are not good. To reject the will of God would be to reject the plan of God's kind intentions towards us. And even if the will looks difficult, the will of God looks difficult, even if it looks challenging, we should still go for it because the more challenging it is to get into it, the greater the blessings are as they begin to flow. And there is a cost attached to the will of God. And we need to be willing to pay the price. But as we do, there's rich rewards that begin to flow. There's an abundance of blessing that begins to manifest. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. We've been there before, but I feel to read that again. For I know the plan that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God says, I'm not confused. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. I, I know. And sometimes it's like, oh man, you know what's going on? I don't understand. We, we don't understand everything, but God does. God knows the past. He knows the fre- present and the future. God's got a bird eye view. <laughs> I had a call from my sister. She says, oh wow. She says, we've been watching a TV program. It's called New Zealand from above. You need to watch it. It's awesome. And uh, so I managed to record it and I watched one. It's like, you know, the whole thing is just pretty much from above. And, and you know, what, 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 what we need to understand is that, you know, we're, we're in the groove. And sometimes uh, sometimes it's like, you know, how far away is the sunshine? But, but God's, God's above and God understands and God knows. It's a, bit, a little bit like being in a maze sometimes. And we don't know what's around the corner, but God does. We don't know what's up ahead, but God does. God knows the danger that's up ahead. So God says, move over here and move there and then move back over here. And we completely bypass this thing. We don't even know what we have avoided. But God does. God does. I said this before. A lot of the stuff that happens, a lot of the calamities and disasters, they would not even be happening. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. See, God's plan and God's will for us is always prosperity, never poverty, never. God's plan for us is always health, never sickness. I know they've said that, uh, you know, that everything happens for a reason. But that's not true. That's a lie. That's what the devil would have us believe. That's a lie out of Eastern religion. They call it karma. Whatever will happen will just happen. But that's a lie. People say, everything happens for a reason. Well, no. Not not everything happens for a reason. But God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. 
So God's plan is always safety, never accidents or calamity. <laughs> I'm not trying to poke at anybody, but I'm, what am I now, 57 years old? <laughs> I think it's 57. <laughs> people say, people say, a few years ago, my sister said, how old are you now? I says, I don't know. It changes every year, and I don't and I never think about it. I just, I don't think about my age. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, you know, even though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. So I just focus on the inward man. I don't focus on the outward man. And, uh, but I'm sure it's 57. I'm 57 years of age. I haven't broken a single bone in my body. And judging by some of the things that I got up to here and there, that should, that should, you know, that's not to say that something wrong with you if you've broken a bone. I'm not saying that. But I'm, but I'm simply saying that God's plan for us is a plan for good and not for evil. To give us a hope and a future. God plans safety. We dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. Psalm 91. In Ephesians, it carries on. Oh, I love Ephesians. Just wow. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. I know that there's a thrust to kind of, to kind of uh, rid the, uh, the, 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 the sort of neo-Christian religion of, of things like the blood and sacrifice and everything. But friend, if we've got no sacrifice and no blood, we, we haven't got anything. Because the whole thing is based on what Jesus did on the cross. All right. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Now, in him means in Christ. Everyone, everyone that's born again is in Christ. If you read through the New Testament, particularly the letters, what we call the epistles, particularly Ephesians is strong on that, some of Colossians and a little bit in, 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 uh, in um, Corinthians, first and second, it speaks about in him. It talks about in Christ. It talks about in the beloved um, and if you read that part, you should sit up and take note because whenever it says in him, you say, I'm in him. So if it says something about in him that something is going on or something is true, then it's true in my life because I'm in Christ. You see, initially, God is pre-planned. The Bible calls it um, predestined. Um, so... Bible scholars, you know, theologians got that whole predestination thing. These are all big words. But it basically means that God foreknew us, God foreordained, God preplanned, all of the will of God. It says in the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament was a mystery. Uh, it was like a truth that wasn't known. The, the Old Testament spoke about different aspects of it, but they didn't know that in the New Testament, the New Testament saints would be in Christ that there would be such a thing as a church. Uh, and it was all a mystery. But Paul says, he says, God's revealed it to us. We, he, God made known to us the mystery of his will. And we're now in Christ. 
so that God can present us to himself holy and without blame. You see, in Christ we are holy and without blame. That's our position. We have not attained to holiness or through, through blamelessness in, in God's eyes because of our efforts, but because of Christ's efforts on the cross. That's why we get excited about him when we sing about Jesus and about the good things that he's done for us because you realize the magnitude of this whole thing. You can't help but get excited. Like Cole Stringer would say, if that doesn't light your wood, he says your wood's wet. And sometimes people's wood's wet, like they can't, just don't know how to get excited. But when we get a revelation of these things, we can't help but get excited. <laughs> so God's initially pre-planned to adopt us into his family, to adopt us through Christ. And once we are in Christ, he lavishes all the blessings, all the grace on us. Now, even, even unsafe people are experiencing a measure of the blessing. The Bible says that God is good to the just and to the unjust. He causes the rain to come down on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And you know, it gives various sort of examples there. See, people, everybody breathes air, and God never even charges us for it. I mean, how about that? How about if God would just turn off the supply? I mean, how, uh, what, what would that be? <laughs> like, that wouldn't be good. So, so God's good to everybody, all right? God's good to everybody. <laughs> it's like we'd all be running around like, uh, like divers with our own tank, you know? Like, well, even that thing comes from God. Uh, and uh, so, so God's good to all. But in order to really step into the blessing of God, you've got to get into Christ. So God's pre-planned. Uh, theologians sometimes make that whole predestination thing very complex and very complicated. But, but it's, it's actually quite simple. God predestined us to be adopted into his family, to be in Christ. Now that we're in Christ, we'll have a look at that in just a moment. God still has a plan, uh, but God now lavishes his grace on us, his, his unmerited favor, his goodness, his mercy, the blessings uh, and all of that. And so God has purposed that in Christ, all of his kind intentions towards us are realized. That in Christ, all of the blessings are available to us. That in Christ, there is no lack. That in Christ, we don't have to suffer sickness. That in Christ, there is ample provision. That in Christ, there is peace. That in Christ, there is all the good things. This is our position in Christ. Everybody say position. Uh, Bible scholars speak of positional truth. Positional truth, if we're in Christ, is true whether we act on it or not. It's true. It's our position. In Christ, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Ephesians. Have been blessed. Past tense. So I said before, people are trying to get blessed, but God says, in Christ you're already blessed. In Christ, 
Second point there, it says that God has made us accepted. Actually, specifically, it says that we are accepted in the Beloved, meaning Christ. Beloved, capital B, reference to Christ. People try to work hard and try, oh, I need to just get accepted by God. It says, in Christ, you're already accepted. Walk by faith. Accept what God has done for you. You try to struggle and strive to get into it. You're in the flesh. But you, if you're in Christ and you accept what God's done, we operate out of a position of faith rather than out of a position of works. R religion is into works. But our, our relationship with God is based on faith and what Jesus has done on the cross already. Number three, in Christ we've become the righteousness of God. I know when you first get a hold of this truth, it's like quite, quite, almost quite difficult to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's like it, that boggles the mind. Like, I don't look righteous. I don't act righteous. No, our position is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And the more you confess that, the more your life will swing around and actually begin to look like the righteousness of God in Christ. The next one there says that in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. That, you know, in God it's not yes or no or yes maybe uh, or wait a little. In God it's yes and amen. Hallelujah. In Christ, there's now no more condemnation. If you're experiencing condemnation quite a bit, there's something missing. And what's missing is a revelation that you're already accepted in the Beloved, that you're already the righteousness of God in Christ, that you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, that, that you have already been made fit to be a partaker of God's divine nature and all of these other things that the Bible is. We're just li listing three, four, five things here. I mean, there's just an, a list there that's just like a huge list of, of everything that we are in Christ and everything that we can do in Christ. In Christ, we are a new creation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29... It also speaks about the will of God. It speaks about the purpose of God. It speaks about predestination, which is what, to a certain extent, we're discussing today. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Um, this is the message translation here. It, 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 it sort of basically tells us that even before the foundation of the, of the worlds were laid, God already knew what he was doing. God already had a plan. He decided from the outset to shape our life, uh, shape the lives of those who love him. How many of you love God? All right, so it's speaking about us. That God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. Restored, recreated, born again, converted. These are all the same terms. It says, we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. 
meaning in Christ. So we've said this before, but, uh, but God has a certain lifestyle in mind for his people. God has a certain look, a certain, a certain, a certain deal in mind when he talks about Christians. You see, Christians are the Christ-like ones. And, uh, and so, so it's not like when I become a Christian, it's same old, same old. It's not, God now says we now need transformation. We now, we now have, it, we, we're called to newness of life. N not same old, same old. How can the righteousness of God in Christ live same old, same old? In fact, you'll find that uh, you read through the writings of Paul in the New Testament, typically at the front end of the, of the letters, he tells the churches whether that's the Colossians, the, the Philippians, the Ephesians, the, 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 the other ones, <laughs> he, he tells them, this is who you are. This is who God made you to be. He says, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're, you're a brand new creation. The old things have passed away and, and, and all things have become new. And because of all of that, this is now how God wants us to live. So let our lifestyle catch up with what God has already done in our lives. When our lifestyle changes, we are no more accepted by God than what we were the moment we got born again. We, we are no more righteous than, when, than what we were the moment we got born again. But it means we are now moving into the will of God. We are now catching up with positional truth. And we call that, we call that our practice in Christ. You see, we have our position in Christ and we have our practice in Christ. And this is typically what it looks like. The position in Christ is true for everybody that God just elevates us the moment we get born again into a position. See, before we got born again, we were somewhere over here, away from God, living whatever kind of a life and, and God's predestined us to get us into Christ. And then he has lifted up, uh, us up to this position. And now that we're in Christ, God says, I want your practice to come up so it mirrors what your position is like. And this is the deal where in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 2, we started out with that scripture. It says, do no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove and demonstrate what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And we've said in the beginning when we started out on the first Sunday uh, of 2015, we said typically this is where we start out in our practice, but our, the, the, our position is, is secure in God. Our position is true no matter, no, no matter where our practice is at. But God expects our practice to be lifted up. You know, we're in the, we're in the goodwill of God uh, to begin with. And, and somehow, you know, and then we, we learn new things. And as our mind is more renewed, we, we're in the acceptable will of God. And as our mind is renewed and we press on, we're in the perfect will of God. And there is a progression. 
And sadly, not everybody has a quest to walk in the perfect will of God. Once God has placed us in Christ, He wants, to, wants us to begin to think like Christ, speak like Christ, act like Christ. Christ is the firstborn in the line of humanity that God has restored. Christ is the model. Um, Christ is the, in fact, the Bible speaks of the firstborn among many brethren, among many brothers and brothers and sisters, I guess. He said he's the firstborn. And uh, the word first there means uh, protos. Uh, and, you know, we talk about a, a prototype. When something is manufactured, when something is, is made, the, the, you know, the, the, in the assembly line, they usually make, make the first one to what they want all the others to look like. And once the first one is ready and tested and proved, yeah, absolutely, that's good, then, then they turn the, the things through the assembly line. And then everyone looks like the first one. That's exactly what God had in mind. God lifted up Christ and his life. And he wants every Christian to look like that. And church is an assembly line. When we first get born again, man, we come in here and God begins to just take things out that ought not to be there. It's like, uh, it's like God takes things away that are not meant to be there. And then God begins to furnish what's meant to be there. And he, he begins to assemble us. And sometimes God, before God can properly assemble us, he has to disassemble us. So to destruct before we can construct and, and everything. And, and, and uh, just like we, 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 many people don't realize this, but every time when the preaching of the word takes place, there is an assembly going on. There's something that gets uh, tightened up and something that gets taken away. The Bible says the word is like a sword that cuts things away. The Bible says the word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Uh, the Bible says that God uh, God's word furnishes us with everything that we need in order to begin to think like Christ, speak like Christ, and act like Christ. It's what does Christ think like? Well, read Matthew Mark, Luke, and John. And if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, where all the words of Christ are in red, if you were to just read all the red letter, uh, I mean, we read the stuff beforehand so we get the context of where this is talking about, but all the red letters, this is what Christ thinks, this is what he spoke, this is what he has done. As Christians, we are the Christ-like ones. You know, if we were to play around with the pronunciation of the word Christians, we could call it the crash Christians. Christ and, and the Christians. Not sure if that works too well. <laughs> but you know what I mean. That's the main thing. <laughs> so this deals with our practice. God tells us not to think, to speak, or to act like people in the world do. 
No longer be conformed to this world. You know, the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 1, starts out. What, what does Psalm 1, verse 1 say? Some, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. See, the word gives us good counsel. Not to say that people in the world can't give us good understanding, but, uh, you know, when it gets into philosophy and when it gets into, like, New age stuff and when it gets into politically correct stuff, it's not going to bring good results. And a lot of it doesn't glorify God. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of the sinners. Do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, and his law does he meditate day and night. Why, why do I need to meditate in the Word day and night? So that I know how Christ thinks, how he speaks, and how he acts. So don't live like the world any longer. You have a problem? Don't go to the world, find out how, how, how to fix your problem necessarily. And of course, there's many things like, you know, if I've got a mechanical problem, of course I'm going to a mechanic. <laughs> I've got, I got some, you know, if I've got some, sort of, some issue with, with, with electrical issue, of course I'm going to an electrician. So I'm not talking about, you know, that understanding with, with a lot of that philosophy. A lot of the new agey worldly ideas. God says, leave all of that behind. Some of it may even sound good. But a lot of it is still from the pit of hell. Whole generations have been ruined by buying into worldly philosophies. So, we pursue the will of God instead. What does the will of God look like for me? In several examples here, and we're just sort of focusing on the will of God here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So he already told us, don't, don't live like people in the world, where anything and everything goes. He says, no, 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 we, we, we don't live like that anymore. We have been raised to newness of life. This is the will of God. So it's all in the Word. The Word tells us how to live. He says, this is the will of God. He says, your sanctification, that, that you live the lifestyle to match the position that God's brought us into in Christ. should abstain from sexual immorality. What, what, what sexual immorality? It's a sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage when a man and a woman are married to get, to, together. Everything outside of that is sexual immorality. And then, of course, the Bible specifies uh, of everything that God disapproves of. Uh, such as that, you know, the Bible speaks of fornication, that's just sex before marriage. It speaks of adultery, which is sex with somebody not being married, but sex with somebody not being married to. It speaks of homosexuality, which is then, you know, sex with same 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 sex people, which God disapproves of. Uh, and, and, and on and on goes the list. And of course, we haven't got time to drill into all the details there, but, but God's word is very clear. 
And people say, yeah, but that's, that's so hard. No, 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 no. The Bible says the way of the sinner is hard. Living in Christ and living like Christ, that's the good place. That's the thing to strive for. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, 18, it says, rejoice always. It's a lot of Christians only rejoice sometimes. What does the Bible say? It says rejoice always. You mean to say I can't be miserable anymore? No. No. God disapproves of you being miserable. God wants you to rejoice always. Book of James, if we had time, we would whip over there. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, tests, and temptations. Even at the hard times, God wants us to rejoice. It's part of the will of God. And, and, and we might not fully understand it, but, you know, there's one quick explanation. to it. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you've got difficult times, you need to walk in the joy of the Lord because that's where your strength comes from. So you can walk through that situation and come out the other side and be, as the word says, perfect and entire and lacking nothing. There's just one verse. One verse. Verse 16, it says, rejoice always. People say, oh, there are two words. They're not important. Let's move on to the important stuff. No, rejoicing always is very important. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, literally... We can't be praying 24-7 very clearly. Because, you see, when we speak to one another, we're actually not praying at that moment. And when, when we're sleeping, mostly we're not praying. But I've, I've, I've been times when I'm waking up and I'm praying in tongues. Like, it's like, how is that possible? So, you know, but, you know, we can have a prayerful attitude all the time. Then we are practicing the presence of God. That even... Praying in English, you have to sort of think about, or whatever in your, your native language is, you have to think about what to say, but praying in tongues, you can almost disen when you literally disengage your brain, you just go, Sukaraba, Siti Araba, Sondurababa, Sikiri Araba, Sondurababa, Sayaraba, Sonda. I can be driving the car, I can have, have a shower, I can do all sorts of things, and Sukaraba, San, pray without ceasing. It's the little things that we do all stack together that move us into a life of victory. People are looking for the complicated things. It's like, oh, there must be an answer for me somewhere. Maybe it's over there. Maybe I need to go to another church. I'll go to another church. Uh, no, no, it's, uh, it, that's not necessarily where the, where the victory is. Maybe I need to go off overseas somewhere. No, no, just stay put and do what the Word says. Practice the Word. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's not deep theology now. All right. It says, absolutely, it says, in everything. Now, because we've said before that it's not for everything. When bad stuff comes, so oh, I thank you, Lord, for the accident. Or I thank you, Lord, for the calamity. The accidents, calamities don't come from God. But it says, in everything, in everything, there's a difference. You know, years ago we had teaching that you give God thanks to God for everything. And it's just, it's just... Little words in and for that can make all the difference whether you live a life of victory or whether you live a life of defeat. Just little words. 
So in everything give thanks. You know, truly born-again people strive to bring their practice in Christ in line with their position in Christ. Truly born-again people that have developed maturity in their lives, that know how Christ thinks, how he speaks, and how he acts, don't feel the need to go around to be rude to other people, to snap at other people. You read the book from cover to cover, Jesus never snapped at people. He's never rude to people. He was strong with people, with some of those that opposed him and that opposed the will of God. In fact, the Bible speaks of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, you know, when John the Baptist started baptizing, that was part of the will of God for the people in preparation to receive Christ when he was to come. The Bible says that they rejected the will of God and did not get baptized. But say, it's just, it's just baptism, it's just a little thing. No, in God, it's all the little things stacked together that are turning into a big thing that will either determine whether we're in the will of God or out of the will of God, that determine whether we live a life of victory or a life of defeat. Jesus says, you guys rejected the will of God for your lives. So in other words, our lifestyle will show if we are truly in Christ. Our lifestyle will show it how we interact with people. Are we loving? Or are we ugly like people in the world that, you know, know how to be ugly and just blow their stack and get angry all the time and get stroppy all the time and they, they don't rejoice, they're always miserable all the time. It's like our lifestyle will show who we belong to. The devil is mad all the time. The Bible speaks of Christ that he hit the oil of joy in his life more than all of his contemporaries. Jesus was actually a happy man. I know the religion has painted him to be like a sad man. He was always running around and always sad. Yes, Jesus was crying. In fact, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, he was just like, uh, just, uh, just, it was just terrible. But that was, that was a few hours in the lead-up of, of a couple of days towards his death. But other than that, he is a happy man. And we, the Christians, ought to be happy people. <laughs> we, got, we got two amens, and the rest of you are not sure. And, and some of you others, you, you're not going to say anything no matter what I say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ephesians 4.17 So I tell you and encourage you in the Lord's name not to live any longer like other people in the world. Their minds are set on worthless things. You put a Christian alongside a, a, a pre-Christian. You put a safe person alongside an unsafe person. If you can't see any difference, there's a problem. 
somewhere. The Christian smells like the unbeliever, drinks like the unbeliever, swears like the unbeliever, loses the plot like the unbeliever, and there's a problem somewhere. Miserable, like people, you know, need all sorts of things to, to get, it, get them happy, all sorts of substances. Uh, it's like, <laughs> there's a problem somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so next time you meet somebody put a big smile on your face how are you going <laughs> rather than how are you today <laughs> some people don't even want to know how others are they only it's all self-absorbed I'm not having a good day today <laughs> That's not to say that there can't be challenges in life. <laughs> but you know what? In the middle of it all, we can rejoice even in the difficult times. You see, he says here, he says, he says, they set their mind on worthless things. As believers, we set our mind on eternal things. We live our lives out of an eternal perspective rather than out of a temporary perspective. Jesus says life is more than what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. And he could have said what you ride around in. You know, we could say what sort of set of wheels that we drive or whatever, or what you live in. Life's more than that. Yes, all of these things are important. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. As we focus on eternal things, strive to be, be, be in the will of God, serve God, the question could be asked, it's like, what, uh, are we going you know, to be able to pay our bills in, you know, in five months' time, in a year's time? Don't even, don't even give the second thought. There's provision in God all the time. Take no worrisome thought for tomorrow, Jesus says. Don't focus on just temporary. Take an eternal perspective. That, you know, we order like each time when a person gets saved, we order like have a party as there is a party in heaven. Each time when somebody dies without Christ, we order grieve because we know that he who has the Son has life and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Heaven and hell are places of, of real places of eternal existence. The devil only wants us to be thinking about today. He wants us to worry about tomorrow, but he does not want us to take an eternal perspective. Too many people just live in the, in, in, in the temporary world and pay no attention to the eternal world. Colossians will close shortly. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since you were brought back to life with Christ... Focus on the things that are above. Where Christ holds the highest position. Keep your mind on things above, not on worldly things. 
you know, worldly things like, sure, we need to go to work and sure, we need to earn a living and sure, we need to pay bills. And in fact, these things are all very important and, and they're even part of us being spiritual. Because the Bible says, he who does not work should not eat either. So there's a spiritual aspect to working. And there's a spiritual aspect to, to, to you know, to the, the lives, uh, you know, just eating and sleeping and <laughs> preparing whatever we do. There's a, there's a dynamic to that that's important. But we do all of that from an eternal perspective. You know, Jesus uh, was with the people that came to him to listen to the word. He healed them. He fed them. And people were around him. He was with his disciples. And uh, next minute there's a knock on the door and one of the disciples goes over there and it's Jesus' family outside, his mother and his uh, brothers. And they say, we want to see Jesus. We're here to see Jesus. So, so they go inside and say, Jesus, your, your family's outside. And Jesus, he says, your, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. He says, he, he says who is my family? He says, who is my, my mother and my, my brother and my sister? And, and, and then he made this statement. And this is powerful. Listen to this. Mark 3.35. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Is Jesus into breaking up families? Absolutely not. He's not into breaking up families. He's into restoring families. Natural family is important. The Bible says we are to honor father and mother. And we ought to have brotherly love for, for each other rather than be scrapping all the time and fighting and be always against everybody. But you know, there is a deal sometimes where people are so absorbed in their families, they've got no room for anybody else. They've got no room for the kingdom of God. They've got no room for their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They've got no room for all of that, where things are just entirely out of kilter. We need to prioritize that God comes first. And then we need to make sure that spouse... Uh, uh, you know, if we are married, that uh, that's all locked down, that, you know, that, that we have the uh, right proportion of our time and our energy towards each other, and then, then there is the family. But then, you know, then we need to, like, put in there that just, uh, just make sure that we got time for, for, our, for our church activity, that somehow when people first get saved, their lives are so cluttered with, with sports and with hobbies and with things that are just worthless things that are non-productive things. And we need to rearrange all of that and make room for everything that needs to be done. So whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. So in other words, we can't claim to live in the will of God unless it actually looks like it. And so I encourage you today, let's make the year 2015 where we go hard, to strive to be in the will of God, in the perfect will of God, not in a lower level, not in a half pie, in a sort of a whole hum sort of a thing, but to absolutely go all out. This year is going to be a significant year for all of us. Every year is. But I believe that, uh, you know, God wants us to absolutely, you know, the return of Jesus is not like multiplied years and multiplied generations away. Jesus is coming most likely in our generation. We don't know specifically when he will come, but when he comes, 
it's too late to do anything. At that point, everything that's been done has been done. And people say, well, I'll, uh, I'll get saved and, and I'll get involved in church after Jesus comes back. There's not going to be a church in that respect at that time. And then it's too late. The first time Jesus came as a baby, he came as a savior. And he wants to be Lord in our lives. The next time he will come as a judge. He, he will come as the reigning king. And I encourage you today that this might, for all I know, might be your first time in church ever. Or might be your first time in church since, since you were a child. I don't know. But please, don't brush God aside. Don't reject the will of God for your life. God has planned and purposed for you to get saved, to be in Christ, so he can put his blessing on you, and so he can also, also use you to reach other people. Live in the five purposes.